Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to episode 58 of the Filmumentaries podcast. This is Jamie Benning here in my little office in South East London. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, uh, welcome. Hope you enjoy it. Um, and if you're a regular listener, um, I well, I hope you enjoy it too, but also welcome back. You know the deal here. We've got about an hour or so of film history chat ahead. Apologies for the lateness of the episode again this month. I've been very snowed under with work and life in general um, and a little project I'm working on. Uh, but as promised, I'll always get two episodes out each month. The next episode will be available tomorrow. If you're new to the podcast, do give the 57 episodes that came before this one a listen. Cherry pick the names that you know, uh, then take a listen to the rest. And I guarantee that you'll find something of interest. You may also like to visit vimeo.com forward slash filmumentaries where you'll find many, many hours of my behind-the-scenes film documentaries, some full-length, like Inside Jaws and Raiding the Lost Ark, and some shorter, like uh, the Robert Watts one or the Dave, uh, Dave Barkley or Evil Powell ones. So this is a very independent podcast. It is just me, my laptop, and a guest. So if you enjoy my work, do consider supporting it by visiting patreon.com forward slash Jamie Benning. That's J-A-M-I-E-B-E-N-N-I-N-G. Patreon is a really great platform for creators like myself who want to retain control of their output. And I make this for me, really, and people like me, hopefully you listening right now. Um, and so far, there are about 100 of you helping to support the podcast, um, picking the various tiers that are available. So you can go for like a dollar tier or a three or five dollar tier, and then you can get a poster if you go higher. There's even a $20 tier, and there's, I have two people. They give me $20 uh, a month for this podcast. So thank you to everybody that contributes, shares, posts, reviews, all of that stuff. Um, you know, there's a good bunch of you on Twitter as well that I have good conversations with about all the stuff we love in the behind the scenes world of filmmaking. So for this episode, I have somewhat of a kindred spirit by the name of Alexandre Ponset. He's a Frenchman, as you may have guessed from my uh, amazingly accurate 
accent there. Alexander, Alexandre. Um, he is, like me, a lover of behind-the-scenes stories, and he and his friend and business partner, Gilles Penso, have created a trilogy of documentaries about heroes behind the scenes. Uh, one called Ray Harryhausen, Special Effects Titan. A second one called Creature Designers, The Frankenstein Complex. And a third one, uh, the most recent one, called Phil Tippett, Mad Dreams and Monsters. I only recently became aware of their work, and I was very much inspired by it, because... Because as you may know, I'm in production on my first proper documentary with my pal Paddy Tyndall. We've been working very, very hard. We've had a bunch of meetings with producers who think they might be able to sell it for us. One here in the UK, one in the US. And we're just trying to work out what to do at the moment. It's an absolute minefield. We're going to have to find some money to invest in it. Even to get it to the Kickstarter um, phase is, is, is going to be difficult. It's going to be expensive. But hopefully uh, we're going to manage it. And like... Alexandra and Gilles, they've achieved this with a, a really small team as well and it's quite remarkable what they've been able to do. I'll say no more now, you can find out the rest in the conversation you're about to hear. So here's my conversation with Alexandre Ponset, um, director, composer and nice guy and I'll be back at the end for a bit more jabbering on. You've made this fantastic kind of trilogy of documentaries here. You've got the Ray Harryhausen special effects titan, creature designers, the Frankenstein complex, and Phil Tippett, Mad Dreams and Monsters. Um, where did it all begin for you? When did you realise that this was your your calling? You know, what was what was the moment? Was it in your childhood when you first saw a behind the scenes documentary or something? Where did it all begin? Well, it, well, it started when I was a child because I. I um... I actually have two um, older brothers, and uh, I, I used to watch movies that I uh, should not have watched <laughs> at that age. So when I when I was eight years old, uh, I saw Robocop and Predator on the big screen <laughs> with my brothers, and uh, and that was a defining moment. Uh, the same week, I saw Robocop, Predator, and Inner Space. So that changed my life, literally. Uh, I think I knew that it was, you know, cinema. It was not reality, so it was not dangerous for me. Uh, but I, I was really impressed, um, especially by certain, you know, sequences. The 8209 scene in Robocop was incredible. Uh, all the, the scenes with, the, you know, Stan Winston uh, Predator uh, were incredible. And... Uh, Everything in inner space was incredible. <laughs> but, you know, I I, um, I was I think already in love with the with movies at the time, but that really you know solidified the thing. So so I I um, I think it's at that time that I discovered a magazine that uh, one of my brothers had had uh, bought called Mad Movies. So it's a it's a cult magazine in, in France and. Uh, so it was created in 1972. So it was, you know, called the French Fangoria by, by many there. And um, and I remember that I saw, you know, photos of, uh, behind the scenes photos of Robocop uh, in men movies at the time. And I started actually uh, a few years later, I rediscovered men movies. I bought my first uh, copy, uh, which was 
uh, issue number 74 or, so, or something, 1991. And there was Evil Dead 3 on the cover. And I had seen Evil Dead 2 with my brothers. And it was one of my favorite movies. And um, I started, you know, buying man movies every month, every two months at the time, uh, at that point. And then there was a, a magazine in, in in France called SFX, which started in 1991, which is not like the SFX in the UK. It's it's like CineFX. Mm. So right. it was, everything was about uh, movie magic. Uh, I discovered the, the series Movie Magic when I was a teenager. And... Uh, Every time there was something about how they made special effects, how they made the movies, you know, I was there uh, looking at it or, <laughs> or reading it. So I read about Phil Tippett, I read about Harryhausen, I, I uh, tried to find uh, all the, the the movies that, that, you know, they were talking about. And it was not easy at the time, <laughs> easy to find Harryhausen movies in France. Uh, it was the VHS era, so we had what uh, they had at the video club, you know, at the local video store. But so I grew up actually with the, you know, Peter Jackson's movies or Raimi's movies, which were really successful uh, in video clubs. And then I started a, like a fanzine. I wanted to, I, I, I actually wanted to write in man movies. That was my, you know, child dream. I wanted to make movies or writing my movies and um so i started my uh, my uh, amateur magazine my fanzine and um and then i i won a contest with texts that i i, I wrote and i uh, i was sent to Cannes to the festival mm. and um it was all paid for actually uh, i had a hotel i could attend any screening i wanted and uh, i did my first uh, well, professional interviews at the time in Cannes, 1999. Uh, David Cronenberg was uh, the president of the jury, and he's one of my favorite directors. So mm -hmm. That was a nice year. And that moment, I, I understood that it was possible, actually, to at least have one foot inside of that, you know, domain. And um, I stopped, you know, university uh, in twenty late twenty twenty uh, no two thousand and one, hmm. and I uh, I moved to Paris uh, to try to find a, a job uh, in um, in uh, movie magazines. My my I am gonna try to, to make this a little shorter, but my parents <laughs> uh, wouldn't pay for um, you know. Uh, a school, you know, to 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 learn uh, anything about movies. So, well, I went for it myself, and uh, so I, I uh, started to write for uh, for a small magazine, and then it grew. And a few years later, I, I started to write for my movies, and now I'm one of the main writers. And um, the, I met someone uh, who actually everything is connected. Who actually used to write in SFX, in the French version of SFX, when I was a teenager. His name is Gilles Ponceau. Mm -hmm. And so he's uh, 12 years older than me. So I, I, I used to read <laughs> what, you know, his interviews uh, <laughs> when I was a teenager. And uh, I met him at a festival in uh, 2009 in uh, France, uh, the Gérard May Festival. And the... Uh, 
I saw I saw the guy in in, in the on the train and uh, he was uh, watching Amazon Women on the Moon by John Landis, and so I, I uh, sat next to him and we we had a blast watching the, that stupid movie. <laughs> and actually, John Landis was uh, the main guest that year in Gerarme, and Gilles explained to me that he had been uh, working on a documentary about Ray Harryhausen. And he wanted to meet, uh, you know, with John Landis to ask him questions about Ray Harryhausen because Landis and Harryhausen are connected. And um, I, I said, okay, I have a camera, you have a camera, maybe we can, uh, you know, <laughs> work together on, you know, grabbing some comments from uh, Landis for you and for your documentary. And at the end of the festival, uh, I remember it was 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. He showed me his uh, promo reel. And it was like five to ten minutes. I don't don't remember really, but it was uh, he he had done an interview with Ray Harryhausen, a very long interview in his house, and uh, so there were bits and pieces of this interview intercut with a photo of uh, James Cameron and uh, a quote of James Cameron saying good things about Ray Harryhausen, mm. and then a photo of Tim Burton and a quote, you know, and Steven Spielberg and Terry Gilliam, etc., and then comparisons between. Um, Gilliam's movies and Harryhausen's movies, Cameron's movies, etc. Uh, and I, I, I told Jill, I have just created my production company. Uh, you know, I wanted to to do bonus features for mm -hmm. movies in France, and and I said, well, that would be great if I could produce that documentary. And uh, we shook hands, and four years later, we had a documentary. Wow. Four years. And those, a lot of those names you mentioned, uh, you know, having read about these people and admire these people's work, you've, you've interviewed so many people between the two of you over the years. Do you, um, how do you approach those interviews? Do you go in with a, a set of fixed questions because you've already written the kind of the story that you want to write for, for the documentary? Or do you go in with a, with a very open mind and have more of a conversation? Uh, well, the, when we start... Uh, it depends on, on the subject of the documentary, but uh, for Harry Ozen, the subject is Harry Ozen and how he influenced everyone. So the structure was already there when I arrived uh, because Gilles had worked on it. And uh, what we did is we expanded, you know, on it and, and um, we maneuvered, you know, through the PR guys trying to prevent us from meeting people <laughs> and <laughs> managed to, to, to meet the, the, the people we needed. And um, because we were no one at the time and uh, no one trusted, you know, that documentary. Uh, so for this one, it was it was pretty clear what question we, we, we needed to ask, etc. It was, uh, you know, we if there was a scene um, that was obviously connected to a, in a movie by Cameron uh, to a scene uh, in, a, in a movie uh, by Harry Ozen, it was obvious that, that we would you know, ask about it. Uh, the other doc documentaries were a little different, especially the Frankenstein complex. That's that that's the the different one, and that's mm -hmm. the one people to structure. And uh, that's why it, it also took, I think, three and a half years to to make because uh, we started shooting it uh, without knowing that we started sh shooting it. Uh, so <laughs> so we, I went to to the US in 2013 to promote a uh, special effects titan uh, so the harry is a documentary and um, 
and I was invited everywhere, you know, at ILM and uh, the, the Kyoto Brothers, Tippet Studio, EDI, um, so the Guinness and Tabu uh, company at the time. And um, I had a, a, a 5D and a microphone. And so I, I asked them to, to, well, to do interviews. And um, I filmed B-roll, you know, of uh, what was happening there when I was there. So I, I asked them without any preconceived idea of what the story was. Actually, that was research. That was really research. The interviews were, what is happening with you? Uh, what's your life? What what uh, what what is your you know daily life is you know what is the work like? What, what, how is Hollywood with you, uh, etc. So that that was um, no preconceived thing. You know, I was not pro projecting anything. I uh, took back all that material uh, to France and I showed uh, the dailies to, to Gilles. And we we analyzed uh, all the dailies for uh, days, weeks, just trying to find something in there that uh, needed to, 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 to be told. And, uh, and it was obvious at, at some point that it was, uh, you know, the, the whole history of monster creators not, not necessarily monster creation, but monster creators, you know, why they do that and and, um, and the evolution of the job. And um, so we went back to do a second second session, you know, a second shoot. Um, and then at, at that point, we had, um, I think, a very rough, you know, cut of what we had uh, filmed before. But we had, we had more detailed questions. Yeah, and you knew what you wanted by this stage, yeah. Because that first, that first um, kind of looking through the dailies is it's kind of like running into the woods blindfolded, isn't it? You're just <laughs> overwhelmed by so much. I mean, I, I've I've been recently shoot. I shot some stuff in um, for five days in LA in February, and I'm still going through the dailies now. I mean, I have a day job and everything else, and a, and a wife and kids and everything. So all those things come first. But just that overwhelming sense of you kind of get lost in just this mire and plowing through it. What do you find is the best kind of technique that's worked for you to kind of begin to focus? Is it is it grabbing those little, noting down those little sound bites that kind of feel like they have a, a meaning to them and then kind of drawing threads between them? Or is it something that just slowly reveals itself over time? So the when we look at the dailies, we try to um, isolate themes, themes and topics. And, um, and and then, uh, so we actually have a rough cut, well, actually an extended cut of every interview, and we cut them, you know, um, according to certain topics and themes. And at some point, uh, even when you don't try to do it, some interviews will be connected. Mm. So you isolate those pieces and put them together, and, it, you know, people say that editing is like a jigsaw puzzle, but it's not. It's like a Lego set. You yeah, know? it's a 3D puzzle. Yeah. It's like a, uh, um, something that um, you don't have, you know, any guidelines. You know, the, 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 you are going to, to, to tell the story that you're going to tell, you know, with the material that you have. Mm -hmm. Same material, someone else will... Uh, say something completely different yeah uh 
not that you know there's different realities but there's different point of points of views and, and uh, so when you analyze you know uh, a set of dailies maybe i will analyze it differently and and uh, so so you you have to find something that is not um too much of your point of view on the story but also something that is engaging for you mm -hmm. that, that the thing that you have to, that you want to say um, means something to you because you're going to spend <laughs> a lot of time yeah. doing it. Yes. Uh, and, and well, actually, we we have we, there's no commissions, you know, for for our documentaries. It's you know um, they are actually financed thanks to the the you know the the money earned on the previous movie. So we are paying paying ourselves and, and reinvesting. In the documentaries and, and you know it rolls on. Um, so we actually bet on our capacity to interest people and interest international sellers and 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 channels and uh, you know anyone. Uh, but the good thing is, we don't have a deadline. It could be a bad thing, a bad thing too. You you know that when you don't have the deadline, you can you can stall. You know just stay on the dailies and, and not move on but since we don't have uh, a deadline the, the movie is ready when it's ready so we can choose to to have a first shoot which is the research no preconceived idea a second shoot which is more you know directed uh, like wh when we when we after we we analyze the the dailies we actually write a structure a one-page structure three acts and um, and then when you see the final film it's really really close to that page and so we did that for for uh, the Frankenstein complex and, and my dreams and monsters and, and and it works in terms of the narrative and I think we are going to talk about that aspect of a film documentary it's not special features it's a movie so you have to have acts you have to have a nar narrative um, and so for the Frankenstein complex and Madrims and Monsters, we did a third session. So we had a rough cut, which worked, but there were transitions or things that could be, uh, you know, better, yeah, smoother. Mm -hmm. There's one example um, in the beginning of the Frankenstein complex. We explain, you know, the myth of Frankenstein creating life, and connect. We connect the idea of these monster creators to Fra Frankenstein, the mad scientist. And um, in in the first interview we did with uh, Steve Johnson, uh, so he's the creator of Slimer and Ghostbusters. Um, he was uh, saying something like, uh, "And I understand why Frankenstein got crazy and said, oh, it's alive! It's alive! He's screaming.'" So he was screaming in the, in the interview because it was, you know, the vibe of the day. <laughs> but it's the beginning of the film and it comes right after the, the opening title sequence, which comes right after a, a like prologue or prelude, short prologue. And the problem is the, the music of the, the main titles, you know, is bombastic. It's, it's like <laughs> really strong. And then when we leave the main titles, it's very calm and dreamlike, the atmosphere. And so we re-filmed the interview with Steve and we asked him to whisper. And I understand 
why Frank Kirchner said, it's a lie, it's a lie. Because at that point, you, you have very calm music and a very, you know, moody atmosphere. So, um, so that, that, that's what you can improve mm -hmm. with that, you know, mm. absence of deadline. Yeah, you're you're constantly adapting the the kind of flow of things and the tone of things as well, and I feel that in your stuff. You know, you're, you know, we're, we're clearly both lovers of DVD special features. You know, we've we've spent many hours, I'm sure, between us pouring yeah. through these things, but they often, you know, kind of just chronicle something. It's just from here to here, and it's like a linear linear thing. Not not in all cases, of course. Um, but there is a tendency to do that amongst film fans, I think, to kind of who who go into filmmaking to kind of just make it completist. Whereas you guys, you do have that that three act structure. You clearly have a. I like. I can. I can. You know, go to a point in your film and watch it for for one minute and know kind of where I am, whether I'm in the beginning, the middle, or the end, because there's, there's that that feel to it. How do you go about working on that that three act structure? Is there a kind of go to film or go-to documentary that you kind of look to for, for inspiration? Well, um... Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't know if it's documentaries, actually. Mm. I think it's, not, it's, it's something about the narrative. And yeah. the narrative is, is a documentary, a book, uh, I don't know, a novel, a short story uh, um, with acts. Sometimes short stories like, you know, uh, Shawshank Redemption is a short story. <laughs> um, but we, we don't try to see our documentaries like like special effects, you know, special features, documentaries. I, 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 I love special features. I love movie documentaries. And, and, and you know, some are really, really... Uh, Awesome and, and probably way better than, than ours, but but we don't want. It's like it's like animation, you know. You you don't uh, ask um, someone who, who makes an, an animated movie, um, what's your um, uh, you know animated movie that helped you uh, sure, structure yeah. your, your film. It's the same. It's not it's not necessarily a, a genre. It's a medium. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a genre. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to, to sound pedantic about, about this. No, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's... it's really hard to, but but yeah, we 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 try to our I, our goal, our ultimate goal, is to have a seven year old and a eighty year old, you know, grandmother uh, watch the film and then understand it, even though they don't know anything about special effects. Mm -hmm. 
And we actually test the movies uh, with audiences in festivals. And sometimes after a, a screening in a festival, the, we, we modify the, the cut. The, the first time we, we screened uh, Special Effects Titan was in, uh, I think, one hour north from London. And um, it was too long. Mm. It didn't work. It was more complete, mm -hmm. but it was too long. It didn't work as a movie. Sometimes, you know, you were in the middle of a scene and we added something that was too specific at that very moment, you know, in the, in the narrative. And it made you too focused on one element. And we needed at that point to have more perspective on the, on the story. And th that's something very intuitive. Sometimes maybe it doesn't, it doesn't work for certain, you know, uh, viewers, but for us, we needed to, to be uh, smooth and, and to have an over, overall view of the story. And uh, for, for the, I think it's for the Frankenstein complex, there was something about Jurassic Park in the middle. We always knew that Jurassic Park would be the, like the, the climax in the middle of the film. Mm -hmm. Think of uh, the Matrix Reloaded. There's the big, you know, chase scene in the, in the middle. That's 20 minutes in the middle of the film. So they start with the chateau fight, and then there's the parking lot, and then there's mm -hmm. the chase, and then there's the 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 roof of the of the truck, etc. That's that block is the middle of the story, and before it it comes like this, and after it comes like that. So it's like it's I think it's John McNaughton, I, I uh, so the director of Henry. Uh, I talked with uh, with him about about this you know structure he told me that every time he receives the screenplay he opens it at the very middle of the of the screenplay hmm. and if something interesting happens there okay he reads the rest because it's really you know climbing climbing a mountain and then going down until the end so you have to, to have that arc that's that's well we, we call it an arc hmm. And um, so, so we did that for the Frankenstein complex. There's a 16-minute-long scene in the middle of the film, very middle of the film. So it starts with uh, the Avis, uh, and then there's T2 Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park. It ends with the the death, eventual death of uh, practical techniques and the death of stop motion as a visual effects uh, technique. So uh, Phil Tippett is, is one of the main uh, characters in, in, in that aspect. And uh, we started to work on the cut, you know, on this scene. And then the cut, actually, we edited it back and, you know, forth. So the, the, the film spread from that scene. Mm, right. And it's it's not a conventional way to do it, but but it worked for that movie because there's clearly something that happens um, emotionally in that scene that will impact the rest. Sure. And just after that scene, we had done a, a very long scene with uh, about Starship Troopers. Just after that, but it was like we had inserted a special effect, uh, special effect, special feature, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, about yeah. Starship Troopers just after uh, that big sequence. So it was great 
in itself, but in the, in the movie, it didn't work. We removed. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How when you put things side by side, they have this relationship that you didn't previously understand until you saw it there. And doing that thing with test audiences as well. Yeah. Um, just having that distance from, from your movie and kind of, you know, without wanting to get too, you know, <laughs> kind of, well, I think there's an energy in a room that you can read as well. Oh, you can feel it. Yeah. You can. Clearly... Whether it's positive or negative or otherwise, exactly, you can feel yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, you can even more easily feel the negative. Yeah, right. Yeah. Energy. And also just having having that distance um, of watching something on a big screen as well, because we're so used to in the editing process of just having our head down and we're maybe glancing between two monitors and looking at notes. And I, I physically do it. I, like, I, I was ch chatting to Walter Murch for this um, podcast um, last year and he edits standing up, of course, famously. But part of the reason he does that is because he likes to be able to stand back yeah. and take his hands away from the tools and just watch it, you know, as, as, a, as a new viewer. And we do need that distance, don't we? We do need opinions of other people. Sometimes I'll sit here working for like two hours on something and I'll just say to my wife, does this work? And she'll say, no, you just got to move that over there. And I, of course, like, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's obvious because what do you do to sort of make sure you, you, uh, you know, maintain that kind of perspective um it's easier for us because we're two on the on the bench so uh gilles is you know in in command of the of the editing he's uh, the editor so but we 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 talk about every shot you know every cut of the film is important thematically and and, and you know for the flow of the film um so there's a lot of back and forth we talk a lot uh, and we try a lot and we we know each other well enough to uh, ha not have to end our sentences he does something and i said but you should and uh, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so it's uh it's it's nice uh this way but sometimes we need to do an export as easily as as that we need to do an export and put it on the tv on the biggest tv you know, sit on the couch and watch it. And and in the I don't know if you saw the making of uh, documentary that we did on the Mad Dreams and Monsters uh, DVD. There's a, like a, an hour and forty minute long uh, documentary. Mm. It's divided by year, and the final year it's all the post production, and it starts actually with us on a couch reviewing the the cuts on the big screen. And and uh, it's really important to actually sit through it, even though you know it by heart. You know it by heart, bit by bit, but not the whole thing. Yes. You have to be in the in the position of the viewer, like you're you're gonna you know consume it <laughs> entirely. So, so so you need to to have that, that perspective. You're right. It's really important. And uh, so so we. We talk, you know, the two of us a lot, uh, and then we test it with with audiences. But you always have to aim at the big screen. You all because it's like, you know, when when you when you add things that make the the lives easier of people who have a handicap in a museum, it's not going to be better for the person who is handicapped. It's going to be better for everyone. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you aim at the big screen, 
you, you will uh, aim at a certain, you know, quality, you know, standard. So it's going to be better for the people who watch it, watch it at home. If you aim at the TV, if you have the chance to screen it, so <laughs> that's different. You know, I wish I wish we could have had um, a bigger budget or, you know, mm -hmm. a, another type of, uh, you know, production uh, for the Harry Ozen documentary because we had absolutely no budget. It was it, two fans from France doing it. And so there's uh, technical, you know, scories, some things that are not meant for the big screen, but the, the film sure. st still works, mm. uh, I, th I think, quite well. It does. I was going to talk to you about the kind of production value side of things because there's clearly a, you know, a ramp up coming up to the, the Phil Tippett, Mad Dreams and Monsters, the most recent one. Not to say that special effects Titan is is not does not have good production values. It does. It looks great. And you know, talking about having no budget, I mean, you've done a, a fantastic job of, of of achieving that. How do you kind of balance the the need to improve each time and you know increase the production values with the the kind of risk of you know going over budget or going over time? How do you kind of rein that all in? It's it's. It, it not that difficult for for the budget for us because uh, it's mainly the two of us uh, for the uh, well for the shoot so we handle uh, everything ourselves and uh, so it's a matter of time that you take to set up your shots it's it's just just take the time to to check if there's a trash can behind uh, you know way you know far far in the room behind the one you are do, doing an interview with it's it sounds stupid but if there's a, a trash can you look at the trash can <laughs> you you need to not look at the the set like it is you look to you need to look through the, the lens really compose your shot through the lens like you're doing uh, a fiction you know like like a movie with a, you know story and actors, it's it takes time because you, you sometimes you need to to surround uh, the the person with certain elements that are thematically you know um, relevant uh, in terms of what you are saying in the scene. So, for example, Craig Hayes, who uh, worked at Tippett Studio for a long time, and he actually did the final design and and the fabrication of Ed Two and I. Um, we did several interviews with him, and when he talks about Ed 209, he's surrounded by things from Robocop 1, original props from Robocop 1, etc. When he's talking about Robocop 2, he's surrounded by things from Robocop 2, and uh, when he's talking about Jurassic Park, there's the DID uh, of the dinosaur, etc. And it's subtle, people don't necessarily, you know, see it, mm -hmm. but you know it. Yeah, it's there, and and um, instinctively also, it will guide uh, the the interviewee. Actually, if he wants to show something, he has the prop next to him. Sure. Mm -hmm. So well, that that is possible only when the prop exists. But for uh, the final interview we did with uh, Phil Tippett, uh, so the very last interview we did for the documentary, and we did. Quite a few. <laughs> uh, it was we knew it was the more personal, you know that that was the heart of the film. That was what what was 
not necessarily missing, but we we had waited uh, until we asked certain questions. You know, the, mm -hmm. the most personal questions uh, about his childhood, about you know anything that's personal, and um, you have to 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 build up that moment uh, when you do interviews with someone. When you when you do a documentary about someone. You don't start uh, by the most difficult questions. You have to earn the trust. So maybe you start with uh, Star Wars, or maybe you start with Starship Troopers. I don't know. Maybe you start with something that that's a little lame, maybe. But you build up, and then at the end, you ask the important questions, and at that point, he trusts you. So you can you can you know shake him a little, and and that shot we we. We set up the the not necessarily the, the the shot, but the set actually, the place where I was for two hours, grabbing stuff from the you know everywhere in the house, and uh, and we insisted that he had a block of uh, you know paper and uh, a pencil just next to his hand, and of course. At some points, he talks about his childhood. He says, uh, well, I was different, so I was alone, so I was. Doesn't finish his sentence. He takes the pencil and he draws. Hmm. So I was always drawing, but he doesn't say it. He shows it. Yeah. That's that's visual. That's more effective, uh, you know, in terms of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, ni that's a really nice moment. It's a nice touch. Phil is one of those guys that is... You know, it's always been fascinating to me. It's a name that I've known since I was like five years old. Um, to be able to spend time with somebody who is your hero must, uh, you know, you've got the task at hand, clearly. You know, you've got your questions, you've got your topics, you've got the things you need to cover, the things you want to shoot, the things you want to draw out of him. But just that kind of enthusiasm is still there, I'm sure. I can feel it in the film, you know, I can feel... Um, the enthusiasm you have for for the subject matter it must be you must enjoy it you must get a buzz out of it oh yes <laughs> yeah, well i have to say so so i explained that i was eight when i saw robocop on the on the big screen the return of the jedi was the first uh, film i saw on the big screen so he's <laughs> all over return of the jedi he created jabba etc and uh, the I one of my favorite favorite uh, movie robots is Kane from Robocop 2. I think it's brilliant. And the, the stop motion scenes are brilliant. So Tippett Studio and Phil Tippett to me was always, you know, insane. It's it was the, the top quality of visual effects and, and the walkers in the snow in Empire Strikes Back. And Starship Troopers. I, when I when Starship Troopers uh, was released, I was 18 years 18 years old. And uh, I saw it, we have uh, movies released on the Wednesdays in France. So I saw it on the Wednesday, it was released. I saw it on the Thursday, I saw it on the Saturday, I saw it the next Saturday. I, I, I couldn't get enough uh, of, of that movie and the bugs were incredible. So of course, Phil uh, was a god to me. So I actually, I, I remember when I first met met him, that's... That's a, 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 a long story. I'm going to try to, to make it short. I don't know. If Go you... for it. <laughs> but it's, it's the moment that, you know, Gilles and I uh, crossed the mirror, actually, really in our 
carrier, uh, if you can call it a carrier. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, I actually found this the other day. I was, I was, uh, you know, a DVD or CD. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the DVD of the rough cuts of Ray Harrier's and Special Effects Titan, a seventy-minute-long rough cut that I burned in twenty ten. Uh, and that I sent to the Harryhausen Foundation. In so we started the film in early uh, two thousand nine, and uh, I had many contacts, uh, you know, with the uh, visual effects, you know, stars, uh, thanks to my uh, my job at uh, Mad Movies, and I called. Well, I sent a message to Chris Wallace, uh, so who did the Gremlins and the Fly. And uh, I know he's he's a big fan of uh, of Ray Harrios, and so I asked him, do, "Do you want to do an interview for the documentary?" And he told me, "Well, maybe it would be better to to ask uh, Randy Cook, so who is the animation supervisor of uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, to do to do the interview because he's in direct connection, you know, with the, the Harrios and Foundation in London." Without telling me, Chris sent a message to Randy Cook. And Randy Cook sent a message to the foundation, and the foundation found us. So they, they told us, uh, "Oh, it's great. We we learned that you're you know planning to do a, a documentary about Ray Harryhausen. Great idea. Maybe uh, we we are going to ask you to to give a, a little percentage to the foundation. You know, to be able to use well something that we had already talked about uh, with Gilles." And we told him, of course, but don't you want to see what we we've got? We have a rough cut. Oh, okay, uh, send it, you know, send it to London. I sent uh, the the DVD, and no news for six months. Huh. So I think uh, it was in April uh, 2010. No, it was in April 2010. We went with Gilles to see. Uh, uh, press screening of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which is terrible. Uh, so it was depressing, and we were even more depressed because we had met with every uh, you know, broadcast channel in France, and we had had no you know, from everyone for a documentary about Ray Harryhausen. They, they didn't know Harryhausen in France. They didn't understand the project. And uh, we, we said that we had, you know, Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, and Peter Jackson, etc. And they were not interested, which felt weird. And uh, out of the blue, uh, when we went out of the Nightmare on Elm Street screening, we received a message from the foundation. And, <laughs> and they told us, well, we've had, at last, we've had time to watch half of the rough cut. <laughs> and it's, it's brilliant, you know, don't you want us to join produce the film and uh, you could have access to all the collections of uh, Ray, wow. to all our contacts, you know, in Hollywood, etc. Amazing. <laughs> That's the best email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After six months, that must have uh, hit really yeah. hard. Yeah. With so many no's uh, from, from uh, friends. And so they added, uh, actually, we we you haven't heard from us in six months because we we are working you know we are planning Ray's birthday 90s birthday uh, in London for you know June come over in June uh, we're inviting you to to the birthday 
and to the party. And uh, so we, <laughs> we booked uh, uh, train tickets and we arrived in June. And uh, there was an exhibition in the British Film Museum that was about to open at, at the time. It was about to open, you know, four, four days after that, something. And uh, we had an appointment, you know, at the British Film Museum to, to, to meet the, the guys at the foundation. And we entered, <laughs> we, we, we felt that, you know, no one would take care of us and two French guys, you know, they would forget about us. They grabbed us by the shoulder, yeah, come to the, the exhibition, which was not open. We enter the exhibition, it's empty. And there's Rick Baker, Dennis Murren, <laughs> Ken Raston, and Phil Tippett. Wow. And Phil Tippett's <laughs> And what, sorry? And Phil Tippett's daughter. Yeah. And uh, Rick Baker comes to me and says, Hi, I'm Rick. <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the first time I, I met with Phil. And uh, the, that night, there was a big event at the BFI. Again, we thought that we would be left aside. But they actually grabbed us again by the shoulder, uh, guided us uh, to a very tiny room while hundreds of fans, fans were waiting, you know, behind lines. And uh, in the room, there was Edgar Wright, you know, Nick Park, Peter Lord, Peter Jackson was there, John Landis, uh, et cetera. It's, it's, Terry Gilliam was there. So we, we were given a cup of champagne. <laughs> tick, 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 tick. <laughs> we were given a, a cup of champagne. I, I, Simon Pegg was there, I think, you know, uh, Andy Serkis. Uh, weird. <laughs> Surreal. <laughs> Surreal day. And uh, I think two days after that, we signed a, a contract with the foundation. Amazing. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Once you get your kind of, you're into that, you're through the door, this world kind of reveals itself to you. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. What a story. Oh, God. Yeah, it, I, I can imagine really my... Good. Still today, I, 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 it's hard yeah. to believe. You know, I, it's like I, I made this up, but uh, I, have, uh, I have a photo of Gilles with a cup of champagne, which, you know, watching, I think, Nick Park and Peter Jackson talk together. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that would be a great movie. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Despite all the enthusiasm and the endeavor and, you know, budgeting yourself to go and sh make do these shoots and these interviews and flying to the States, presumably, multiple times, I think what a lot of people don't realize about documentary making is that's, that's not the story over. You know, of course, you've got post-production, which is another thing we've already talked about. But then you've got the issue of getting funding to get it released or for somebody to buy it or to clear rights and you've got music and you've got maybe visual effects and graphics and you know name straps and things like that that is probably the bigger hurdle in many ways and people don't really appreciate you're able to talk a little bit about some of the the hurdles right. that you've come up against or the brick walls you've come up against yeah well to us the the, the the look of it, you know, uh, is very important. The sound of it is very important. So post-production is, uh, is is a battle. <laughs> it's a long battle. It's a mar marathon. Um, we have worked with um, uh, a company in France. Uh, they they uh, specialize in in um, in uh, main credit sequences for big movies. The the, the artist or OSS uh, or uh, Intouchable, you know. Uh, with party, um, and they also do some uh, some visual effects for us. But the the opening titles, the end titles, and all the you know the names, the credits, etc. that appear on screen are as important as anything else, especially for a documentary, because it's part of the DNA and the personality of the documentary and what it has to say for. Um, um, the Filtipet uh, documentary, we, we wanted it to be not geeky, we wanted it to be arty and classy, uh, because that's why we actually did the, the poster, the Da Vinci poster that Paul we did, uh, because we didn't want to say it's uh, a movie about a visual effects artist, we wanted to say it's a movie about an artist. Yeah, and you've done a very good job of that, I have to say, the artwork is fantastic. It um it really the does art, draw you in, yeah. The artwork is is uh, is incredible. Paul Louis, so he's the layout. Uh, he's one of the main layout uh, animators of the uh, Simpsons. And uh, we met him at Monster Palooza, uh, well, a while back. Uh, we met him actually. He had uh, come to a presentation of uh, some clips from the Frankenstein Complex. I think the year before the Frankenstein Complex was released. And um, so he came to us after the, the presentation, and we we talked, and, and uh, we we geeked out because we are geek, and uh, and we learned that he was a you know an animator of The Simpsons. So of course we asked him to to draw a Bart for our kids, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we we stayed in touch. We we became friends, and and uh, when 
I think we, we had just started the, the... No, 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 we were finishing the, the documentary about Phil. So it was in 2018. And uh, we, we had just finished the last shooting session uh, at Tippett Studio. We went to LA, we, we had dinner with, uh, with Paul and Laurie, his wife. And I showed him a few photos that I took uh, during one of the stop motion sessions because we did stop motion for the documentary with the original props. And one of the photos looked like Da Vinci. It really was Da Vinci <laughs> you know, reincarnated in, in, a, in a stop motion artist. And uh, we, we, we started to, to play with the idea actually. And uh, we, we, it was like a guide. He took a, a, like a, a piece of, uh, of paper and he drew like a rough version of what uh, a, a Da Vinci portrait of Filtipet could be. So you could have the armory, you know, around it, and we could have uh, like um, uh, animal research version of the T-Rex, etc. And every inscription would be in Latin, but backwards because uh, he would write backwards, and every line would be left-handed because he was left-handed. And so we 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 played with it. You can see that in the making of. We played with it, and it was the poster. The poster was there in. 15 minutes. And then we, we said the poster is, so, well, the idea is so good. We actually should uh, include it in the film. So we decided, uh, and I think it was never done before, we decided that the end credits would be the creation of the poster. We, we would animate, you know, things like Da Vinci and, and the final frame of the, of the film would be the poster. And uh, that's what we did. And it took months and months of animation and, and additional drawings. Uh, Paul did many, many drawings for the entries. And uh, the, the music, I composed it you know, for, the, for the documentary. So there's a very uh, specific music for the, the, the entries. So yeah, that, that's a lot of work. And then when, when you, you also have to fix, well, you, you know, probably, but you have to fix things that you, you 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 messed up during the shoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all have experience about that. For example, when you use a 5D, when you have neon light in front of a, fi a 5D, it's really hard to to not have the you know the, the flicker, flicker. Mm -hmm. the flicker. And so when you have that, either you find a way um, when you shoot, or you fix it in post. So we had to fix it in post for the Frankenstein complex. And it was one of the main important um, interviews. It was with Rick Baker. It was in his uh, studio, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, there was a big backdrop, uh, backlit with near light. The whole backdrop was like this. Flashing away. But we, we, we managed to, to find a way. We actually, <laughs> we actually keyed. <laughs> Uh, the Rick Baker's face and and shoulders etc. And yeah, that that was a lot of work. You don't see it, but <laughs> but you would see it if it wasn't wasn't repaired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You would see only this. Yeah, and when when you've got to the point where you're happy with the documentary, um, you you know you've got through post, you've got through the animation. Or at which point, really, my question is, at which point have you managed to get the distribution deal? 
Has that been early on in the process or has it differed throughout the different for, projects? For Harry Ozen, it was the last year uh, with Arrow, for, uh, but it was mainly in the UK. Uh, and then we, we, we found uh, other uh, buyers, but we didn't have an international seller. For uh, the Frankenstein complex, that's a good question. I think uh, it was after, it was midway through, you know, halfway through. Um, we found Le Pacte in France. We were approached after the Harry Ozen documentary by many international sellers, actually. So that's the thing also. You do one documentary and then people uh, get to you. Yeah, it has that momentum then. They know who you are. You've proven yourself and, yeah. It... Exactly. The, the, the doors open and then they want, they want to be, uh, you know, on your side before it's hard. But so uh, we signed with Le Pacte, which is a, a well, very big international seller. Uh, and um, and the, we immediate, immediately signed uh, again with them uh, on the Madrims and Monsters, the Filthy Pet from the very beginning. Uh, but I, uh, I also negotiated um, certain things with them. The Le Pacte um, didn't have uh, a big enough um, advance, you know, uh, MG. For, uh, they wanted actually to distribute the French uh, Blu-ray and DVD, but they didn't want to add anything, you know, on top of what they had planned for the MG of the international sales. So I, I kept the rights for France and Belgium uh, for the Blu-ray and DVD, and I sold them myself uh, to Carlotta, which is uh, the French Criterion. We are quite lucky with this, and, uh, and Carlotta now they are, they are following us for every project. And and what I love with uh, Carlotta is you you really have people in, in front of you that love movies, and they love special features, and we have loads of special features <laughs> for our movies. So and they can you know they can commission new artworks and and uh, it's it's. Um, it's a great company to, to work with. Mm. I know you don't want to get too deep into uh, using copyrighted material, but let's just dip our toe uh, into well, that world. No, it's, that's important. That's an important It is important, part. yeah. I, I, the reason I don't want to, to talk too long about it is that it's a nightmare. Mm. It's it's the most difficult part of the of the whole process to me and, and the, the, the more emotionally painful because you, <laughs> you, you have to realize that we're two little French guys uh, handling copyrighted material that belongs to huge corporations yeah. uh, led by lawyers and etc. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot at, at stake actually for mm. them. Uh, so I was brave enough or stupid enough to call them because uh, fair use is an option that, that you can go with. Uh, fair use, it's you're using the copyrighted material in a certain way in your uh, documentary uh, that it, it doesn't degrade the image of uh, the thing that you, you, you want to talk about. Mm. And the way you use it is relevant to what you are saying in the documentary, in the documentary at that very moment. So it has to be verified shot by shot mm -hmm. in that aspect. 
and uh, you have to pay a lawyer. He, that lawyer has to yeah. write a letter. You have you have to have a budget for this. Yeah, but this is the thing that people don't realize about fair use. People think, oh, you tick this box, tick that box, and then you can use it. But you still have to go through the legal process, which is an expensive process, to okay. come to that agreement, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, <laughs> I saw what fair use uh was you know in terms of cost uh, you know what what that would cost uh to do it and there's a blurry line in france actually because we we have authors and we have authors rights uh and it's not about corporations anymore it's really about the authors so fair use in france it's tricky that's blurry we we don't have a very you know clear definition of it mm -hmm. we don't even know if it exists actually at all mm. so um, uh, the solution was to go to the well to talk to the studios directly you have to know that when as you know as soon as you have uh, started to talk with the studios you cannot use fair use anymore so it's a choice that you have to make mm -hmm. at the very beginning will you go you know with the fair use option or will you go with the uh you know legal uh, copyrights agreements uh option mm -hmm. so i went with the second one so i started to talk uh well the harryhausen documentary was easier because i didn't handle it personally the harryhausen foundation handled it right and most uh studios agreed agreed to do it and uh, they agreed on the most fa favored nations uh, agreement which was um something is, is agreed on by a studio uh, and the other studios have to agree on the same thing if someone asks more money everyone will ask more money etc mm -hmm. so there's something that can be raised at some point so if you also have to make choices if a studio doesn't agree to 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 give you the thing that you you expect maybe that can change your editing and did actually with one studio on, on uh, special effects titan uh, we removed all the clips that we wanted to use uh, and we used uh, different things di different solutions when you have a problem you have a solution uh, for the frankenstein complex that, that was the most, most difficult uh, it i think i worked on the copyright agreements for nine months and you have to, to understand that, well, you're in the UK, I'm in France. So when you start talking with people in the US, you start in the evening. They won't reply until morning. So you actually start a conversation about big money and big risk, go to bed, have nightmares about it, get up while you're just waking up, you're reading the, the reply. It's a nightmare every day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for nine months. Uh, for nine months, I don't know. Well, my my uh, my wife supported me actually uh, a lot on on this, uh, thankfully. But I don't know how I did it. But but the the budget I I uh, ended up with was good, and not more expensive than fair use. We actually have something also that. I think we've been criticized a little about this in the Frankenstein complex. We have very short clips of the that we talk about. We have 
the, the, we have more uh, shots of original props, original, you know, behind the scenes uh, material, etc., which to us is more interesting than to have to have the, the clip, which is something that it's actually to have a, a two minute long clip of a film that doesn't belong to you is two minutes less for your own movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke to a, um, uh, a director that I did a bit of consultancy work for <clears throat> on a on a on a series. And I was asking some advice about, you know, how much we should we budget for this and budget for that. And he said, you know, start at six thousand dollars per per minute for a, for from clips from a movie um he's the, that's kind of the kind of bottom end you know yeah um, i think i think it's it, it can be it depends on the film. it depends yeah. on the film and it depends on the studio i learned that there's no rule and you you can negotiate until you 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 stop negotiating but you can negotiate you you can explain the the purpose of your project and you can you can explain that it's going to be good for them, and sometimes you 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 talk with great people. You know, uh, I can I can talk about Paula Potter at Disney, who was so helpful for the entire process of the Frankenstein complex and Madrid and monsters. She's the best. She's brilliant, and 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 uh, she helped. She actually contacted other people to them that she wanted to support our project so then it, it's not you know they're not evil you, but you, you have human people uh, working in, in front in front of you who have great responsibilities and a lot to work on at the same time you know all the streaming you know offers you know at paramount plus hbo max uh disney uh disney who who have bought um, uh, you know fox etc it's it's a lot to 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 handle for a very small team. So there are real people in front. Of you. It's not lawyers. So you have to talk with them uh, frankly and uh, and respectfully. And they, they they can help you if they believe in your project. They will help you. Uh, of course, you can you can not talk with them and go with the fair use. But it's going to cost money also. Yes, but and the, you might. The, so sorry to talk about this, but the 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 short clip solution is a nice solution. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because you know you could go down the fair use route, but you could end up with a, a a product that's diminished in some way compared to what you could have achieved had you gone through that route. But it's that is a very difficult decision to make, isn't it? Whether to make the leap and go to the studios, or to keep it sort of in house, as it were. You come across very, you know, as a very nice person and a very, you know, educated person, and you're easy to talk to. So I'm sure, you know, a big part of this is about creating relationships with people where you create the, you know, a relationship of trust, and then you've got that kind of shorthand with each other. Should another project come around, or it might be they tell their colleague who works at another studio because people jump around studios all the time, yeah, don't they? So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's definitely worth not burning any bridges along the way. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's a it's a long and uh, painful process. But uh, you have to yeah you have to focus on on, uh, on the people actually you you, you talk to. Um... With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that's what I have to say about copyright. Yeah, let's, let's draw a line under that there. <laughs> that's uh, my wh- line under that. No, that was great. Um, one of the people, um, sorry, one of the one of the things I did want to mention is that, you know, I want, I want a bigger audience for your stuff because it's great. And, you know, even me here only, I don't know, a few hundred miles away from you right now, I didn't know that this Phil... Tippet documentary existed until like six months ago, um, which kind of blew my mind because I thought, you know, I'm. It should have been on my radar. Why was it not on my radar? Um, and I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast going, "Hang on a minute, I don't know these three documentaries." Maybe because of distribution things, or I don't know promotion in in different areas. But how can people currently see your films? Where can they find them, and in what form? Well, the thing is with us you're sure that you're, you're going to find a physical release somewhere because that's the condition when when, when uh, i work with the international seller uh i say i and not gil and i because i'm the producer on this <laughs> so i'm the producer and we both co-direct and, and i read the music he edits and then we have people who work with us uh but when I, I work with the international seller, I, I really I I'd rather have less money, you know, for an MG and be sure that there's a physical release. Uh, because when you sell it, it, it's nice to to sell it for, you know, big amount of money uh, to uh, Netflix or anyone else. But uh, most of the time, it's it's exclusive, Netflix, and it prevents the existence of a physical release and uh, when wh- what you end up with is there's a tiny photo of the film in the back catalog of the streamer and when the rights are over your film doesn't exist anymore and that's tra- tragedy to me you i have i have uh, shelves filled with dvds and blu-rays and 4k and it's not because i'm a collector it's because I care about this and this is going to disappear. The history of cinema, uh, what will remain when, <laughs> you know, when you don't have uh, internet anymore uh, of all these movies that have been you know, exclusive to the streamers, all these documentaries, great documentaries that have been bought exclusively by streamers. Uh, we, we have the chance, Carlota released this, um, Just describe what you're holding up as well, because people are listening as well. (laughs) That's a a box set of our three documentaries uh, in Blu-ray, and it's filled with uh, hours and hours of uh, special features. There's a new artwork uh, with um, Phil Tippett and and, uh, Ray Harriers, well, Phil Tippett and Ray Harriers in front of the hands of the creature of Frankenstein. And, uh, And it's great. You can hold it. You can put it on your Blu-ray player and you can watch it that way. And uh, I think it's better this way. I'm, I'm a big defender of uh, physical releases, especially for small movies, indie movies, etc. So we have uh, the Harry Ozen documentary, uh, 
the Frankenstein complex and uh, the uh, Madrids and Monsters Filtipet documentary released on Blu-ray in France. Uh, so they are available. Uh, I don't know if the Harriers and one is is um, still easily, uh, you know, easy to find. But the other ones are easy to find. Uh, the films are in English. So it's easy uh, to to, <laughs> to 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 watch for uh, for people who are not uh, you know speaking French. Uh, but we also have uh, so we have the Harry Ozen documentary uh, in the UK released by Arrow. The Frankenstein Complex was uh, released on DVD in the UK uh, by Studio Canal. They were the the first ones who actually uh, released the the film, and <laughs> it was insane. They didn't want a Blu-ray. They, they they paid a fortune for it, but they didn't want to release it on Blu-ray. They they were supposed to call me. I think I think I was somewhere in the south of France with only my laptop, you know, uh, with me, and they called me. We are finishing everything in five days. What? <laughs> That's the first time we talk about it. And I had, I had, I, 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 in my laptop, I think I had two or three, you know, short um, internet, you know, featurettes that I could send them. And, and Guillermo del Toro, which is another crazy story, but Guillermo del Toro hosted a screening of the Frankenstein complex in Montreal uh, that week. So the, the, he did a Q&A uh after the screening of the frankenstein complex and they filmed the q a so they, they sent the q a to me and i sent it to uh to studio canal but i didn't have time to edit it so it's it's like an hour uh, filled with small moments that i would have removed and then i actually recut the q a when i did the real uh, special edition with the uh, carlotta uh, shorter but more effective and no hesitation in the questions etc the also uh, I think it's there. Uh, music box doppelganger uh, last July, so not not July 22, but July 21, released a box set uh, with the Frankenstein complex and uh, Madrims and Monsters uh, together on Blu-ray with a, a, a disc of uh, extra features. So it's about 14 hours of content. I'm, I'm buying it the moment we start this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the, the 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 original, you know, Mutant Land and Prehistoric Beast uh, short movies by mm -hmm. Phil with Perfect. audio commentary huh. by Phil uh, that I recorded. Wow. We did a, an audio commentary with Phil on uh, Madrooms and Monsters. Oh, you did? Cool. We did. <laughs> That's for this release. And there's... Uh, Again, a great uh, artwork uh, for this box set uh, done by Paul Wee, uh, which is a like kind of a cabinet of curiosity uh, done with e every creature that you, you see in, in the two movies. You, you always have good artwork. You really do. You find some good artists. Yeah. We love posters. Yeah. For, for this one, we actually uh, we had the chance to meet with uh, Drew Strazen uh, a few years ago. So we, we want to do something about Drew, but something, uh, not, not a documentary about Drew, because there, there is a documentary there is one, yeah. about Drew by my friend uh, Eric Sharkey. Mm. A great documentary. and But we did an interview with him because we love uh, movie posters. And uh, 
Drew is retired now, but we, we asked him. Uh, and he, he told us uh, that if he was not retired, he, he, he would do it. But uh, at that time, it was not possible. But And then we asked Paul, and, uh, and we have a great artwork. That's fantastic. I'd like to, if, if you're able, uh, or I can grab them off online, I'll, I'll make sure I post them when I put, the, uh, put this episode the, the, up. The Monster Collection. Mm, cool. Great. So I, I'm sorry, I'm doing my promotion, but but I no, that's you know I'm I'm the the client for the customer for this, you know. Yeah. I, that, that's what that's I want to have on my shelf and hold. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, you know, I I hope to get somewhere near something you've created at some point. You know, as I said, I'm working on this documentary right now, and it's just kind of overwhelming at this stage. So. It's been great to talk to you and great to, to get some good advice and great to kind of explain what goes on behind the scenes with these things because I think a lot of people just don't appreciate the complexity of what it is that you do. It's it's complex and, and it's, uh, it's a lot of uh, things that, that people can think uh, are superficial or cosmetic. It's not, it's not that at all. Music has a part to play, you know, for example. Uh, I compose the music for the documentaries. When I compose, uh, it's really for the narrative. So I, uh, the actually we start with Gilles. Gilles is a lover of film music, and uh, he he knows his uh, film music quite well. And um, the first conversa conversations that we have on uh, on our movies are about the look, the mood, and the music, and the 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 pace also and and from that you know you have the length that comes after that uh we knew that for example we, we knew that the the frankenstein complex was one hour and 42 uh, sec uh, seconds uh 42 minutes and um we knew that the mad dreams and monsters documentary could not be as long as that because it was about one uh artist so we said, well, between one hour and 20 minutes and one hour and 25. And it's one hour and 20. And we, we tried to make it longer at some point and it didn't work. So and so, so we start very early on to, to, to talk about the music. And I write themes uh, before uh, Gilles edits anything. And uh, I try to find the, the mood of the film with the themes and um, something that characterizes the well the main characters or what we have to to say or the the, the topics of the film and uh, i will write three four five themes and those will help uh, when Gilles starts to edit because i can write i can start writing immediately for the editing while he edits and then i uh, the, the the music expands and and uh, and you get the 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 rhythm, you know, good. So it's it's really important. Yeah, that's great. And we should also also mention that you're not content with having released these three documentaries in, you know, multiple different releases with commentaries and different extras and things. You've also got a Phil Tippett book. Yeah. Coming. <laughs> we do. Uh, well, I I can. So for those of you watching to, on video, I, I can, can see to, to the people who yeah. watch the video. It's a monster. Oh, wow. That is a monster. Oh, it's a monster book it about is, a man who makes monsters. So, it yeah. is a monster. There's the 
and the sleeve as well for it. The wow. We're well. talking sort of Tashin level yeah. <laughs> of, so of scale published, here. Yeah. Published by Cameron Books uh -huh. uh, in the in the US. So uh, they're the ones who did the Rick Baker book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Years ago. So it's that, you know, level of uh, our book. It's 530 pages. Yeah, it's it's really actually hard to hold it. Yeah. To you. <laughs> actually, that's the advanced copy that I uh, received less than a week ago. So it's still weird for me to to look at it. We actually started uh, the Filthy Pet project as a book. That when we were filming the the Frankenstein complex, we uh, had access to all the archives at Tippet Studio. And uh, we actually were we, we we found some drawers in the in the in the studio and opened opened them and there were storyboards from Robocop storyboards from Robocop to original designs from Starship Troopers insane stuff never before stuff notes you know uh, uh, tons and tons of drawings and notes by by Phil and his, and his crew uh, sketches artworks incredible stuff. And uh, we, we immediately said, there's a book there. You know, we, we need to do a book about this. And uh, actually, we, I, I remember that we, we spent so much time photographing uh, the, all these archives um, that day that we didn't realize that we were alone in the studio. And at some point, we didn't have a battery anymore. Gilles went downstairs and triggered the alarm. We had to go out of the building, cool feel, <laughs> well, that's, that's an adventure. But we, we decided to, to do a documentary for a, a very specific reason, very uh, actually practical reason. If you do a documentary, you film the interviews and then you can use the extended interviews in your book. If you start with a book, you will have to refilm everything. Yes. So we started to move very, very quickly move to the documentary. And, and, and so we, we met, I think it was in the middle of uh, COVID. Uh, we met with, uh, with the guys at Cameron Books uh, via Zoom. And we showed them, you know, a few photos that we had taken because every time we were filming the original props at the studio, we always, always took nice, you know, pictures, yeah. mm. nice etc. And uh, we showed that to them, and, and uh, we virtually shook hands. <laughs> There's a book. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> we, What's the release date? October uh, 25, 2022. So in, okay. uh, next month. Yes. You Great. know, you, we, we could do things like, like this. Wow, that's like almost, a full-page full so, spread. So that's, that's a spread of uh, Kane, the original puppet hmm. from Robocop Wow. Two. And the level of detail, you can see uh, everything. For and the first time, I'm sure, yeah. For the first time. And uh, it's almost the size of the real puppet. Mm. Because the, the book is huge. So. And Phil still has the full-size prop as well, like the full-size. He, he still has a lot of... on the mezzanine, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of full-size uh, props. But yeah, we, 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 we took uh, a lot of... Uh, of photos of the studio so that's the well that's oh wow at 209 yeah version of at 209 huh. it's great that phil has kept hold of so much of this stuff um 
That's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's taking people like us, fans that have grown up with these movies, to become these kind of curators and custodians and, and historians because the the film industry isn't particularly good at recording its own history. No. Well, actually, these days I, I work with um, as a curator at a museum, a film museum in Lyon, mm. in France, and that's my uh, one of my jobs now is to, mm. to preserve, uh, you know, props from famous movies like Terminator 2 or Jurassic Park or mm -hmm. Star Wars, Mars Attacks, uh, yeah. etc. And and uh, we have great props there, and, and it's, it's it's great to actually uh, do research on these, try to find. The persons who have uh, created the props and and really pay tribute to the artists and because they are people who work in the shadow you don't necessarily talk about the the guy who painted you know something uh in pre-production etc when you talk about stan winston so stan winston is the guy but behind stan winston there's an army of artists so same with phil the idea with the book is not about Phil. It's Phil Antipet Studio. It's all the, all the all the team. So yeah, people need to understand that there's a lot of stories out there that that need to be told. And and that's uh, I was I'm often asked uh, why Gilles and I don't you know do fiction or things like it's not a choice actually. We we maybe we will do fiction at some point, but. Uh, it's about the stories you, you want to tell at a very moment, you know, at a very uh, specific moment in your life. And the stories we wanted to tell so far, uh, that was Harry Ozen, you know, Monster Creators and, and Phil Tippett. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with Alexandre. Um, I appreciate you giving your time and imparting some of your experience to us. And I look forward to your forthcoming documentary about animation, I believe. So everybody keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll put some links in the show notes to the places that you can find the documentaries that we were talking about. Next up on the podcast, tomorrow, if all goes well, I have a full day of work ahead of me working on the uh, Formula One Singapore Grand Prix. But... I promise I will get it out there. Um, the guest will be Ryan Condal, showrunner of House of the Dragon. As well as writing and exec producing that show, he's also a complete film nut, just like me and you. And he also has an incredible prop collection. As well as that, he's a co-host on a podcast called The Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of. He co-hosts that with David Mandel, who was a guest on this podcast, episode 57. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to, to chat to Ryan. Apparently he's been a fan of my filmumentaries for years and has listened to all the podcasts. He's been listening to them on the way to the studio um, to shoot his show, which kind of blows my mind a bit. So that will be out in the next 24 hours. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you can do so for the next episode of the Filmumentaries podcast tomorrow.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.